Thanks, Tom. Uh, while we get set up, do you want to turn to Judges chapter uh, 17? If you are new to the Bible or Christianity, it's the seventh book in your Bible. Start at the beginning and just go forward, um, or you'll find it on some app or something. Um, it is a real privilege to be here. It's a bit like a home from home. I'm not sure how long we were here, maybe six months, coming up with my family um, after we moved from Canterbury to plant in Colchester. We hadn't started Sundays yet, and we would come up here fairly regularly and it was a great place of rest for us but also equipping so some familiar faces great to see you and many many unfamiliar faces which is just uh, superb it's been lovely to follow your your journey to the building as well which is great and beyond actually going to the the building as a leader of a local church I'm kind of jealous about the journey because it really builds your faith and expands you as a people when you take on a project of this size and just to have heard a bit about your journey it's been provoking for us, so uh, well done, and thank you. I'm going to pray in a moment, but who's kind of pr- looking forward to the announcement tomorrow and hoping that there will be more freedom, but realistically, you think that there won't be? Anyone in that camp? You know, I've been waiting for the announcement for weeks. Um, reality is you've come today where you could hear the greatest announcements of the greatest freedom that has no limitations ever. I hope you were as excited to come to church today and you've heard all morning this barrage of truth of God's love and God's liberty for you. So regardless of what tomorrow holds, as much as we want it, nothing compares to the freedom that we have in Christ. Amen? So let's pray and expect God to come and speak to us. Oh, and I have some pick and mix. I'm not going to say much about it, just to tease you that I have pick and mix. Who likes pick and mix? There you go. Who doesn't like pick and mix? No one. Okay, just a few people do that. Well, we'll come back to that in a little while later. But let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you that you love us. We thank you for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you. You haven't just come to us in the past. You come to us in the present. And so we invite you, Lord. And we posture our hearts as best as we can and have done this morning to receive truth from you and grace from you and liberty from you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Oh man, well, this pick and mix thing here is because I want to talk to you today about, I think, one of the challenges that has always been there for the church, but especially in the culture we live in, and especially in kind of the days we live in with COVID and all the challenges that COVID holds. So pick and mix, what you do is you get to go into the shop, don't you? And you pick and mix your best sweets. You have this array of choices and you get to leave what you don't like. So in our house, no one likes these little strawberry sugar-covered balls. Does anyone know these? Does anyone like these? So they, you like them. Well, you, you can come. I can't throw them at you because of COVID, and we haven't found a way to send them through the airwaves yet. Um, but you can pick and choose what you want. So in our house, certain boxes are totally emptied. Other boxes are not touched because the kids prefer the other things. And we live in a, a time that basically says you just do what you prefer to do, okay? There's a bunch of stuff in life and even in church where if you don't prefer it, if it's not comfortable for you or if it's not convenient, just pick and, pick and mix. And during COVID, I mean, you can pick and mix what you wear to church if you're watching online. I suppose you could pick and mix to not wear anything if that's your preference. 
And one of the things I'm probably most concerned about in our church is that because we haven't been able to sing, I don't think that's true here, actually. I mean, I'm at the front, so I can't hear, yeah, not the singing. I mean, I'm sure no one's singing. Yeah. Um, is that with the masks on and with uh, not being allowed to sing or not being advised to sing, there, has, uh, there can be an apathy in us when we come back to normal restrictions. It, it's different to hold your hands up when you're singing and when you're not, or to jump and dance when you can shout and that. And I hope we don't come out of this with a, oh, I prefer not to do some of those things, and I've got comfortable just being me and not expressing myself in the way I feel prompted by the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, that is very loud and very active and for others it's kneeling or it's silence but the whole culture pushes on us this pick and mix thing because convenience I think is one of the gods of the age I, I don't know about you so I grew up in Zimbabwe and life was very different then and I went to boarding school where the food was absolutely naff so one of the things I really struggle with is my children being very fussy um, and I try not to put it on them because they live in a world where they have choice, which is a privilege, and that's good. And there's certain things they don't have to do that I did. But it really, it really gets me because as soon as, and I think this is a prevalent thing in society, as soon as people hit something that's challenging or difficult or uncomfortable, it's very easy to pack that in and choose something else that doesn't have that challenge. So we went river swimming in Dedham yesterday, uh, a bit naive, we pitched up late, there was no space to park, so we thought, oh, let's give up and go away. And so I just drove down the path, and there was just a random field with a parking space, don't think it was a parking space. So we pulled up, and we just started walking, because we had some dogs, and started to try and help the kids, say, so you might get tired, we might not get to the river, but it'll be worth trying. And you can feel this little resistance because we can just get in the car, put the aircon on and go home and have something convenient. But they pushed through half an hour's walk and we got to the river and we swam. But it's small things like that that I notice with my children. There's a resilience. I think that's the word in schools. There's a resilience that particularly in our young ones and culture around today that they don't develop because they don't have to because they can just do what's convenient. Now, I'm sure there's great parents in here and you don't let your kids do that, but it's difficult when a lot of that convenience is positive. Convenience is one of the blessings of the society we live in and the grace of God, common grace of God, that we get to do things that are convenient. And that's the title today that I want to preach on, Convenient Worship. Can you say convenient? Convenient. And I wonder if there is such a thing as convenient worship, first of all. Um, but we're going to see in this chapter in Judges, a bit of an obscure chapter, I'll explain a bit more, that the people we read about, whilst giving the appearance of worship to God, they've actually made this God that they worship, the living God, who we would say we worship, out to be what they want him to be. Okay, we're going to see that they've airbrushed him and they've removed the wrinkles and they've put a filter in. Have you seen the latest Dove advert? Dove are quite good at this. They've had a few campaigns over the years where they show you the picture that goes on the billboard or on social media of the finished article or the finished image, and in this case, a lady. And then they reverse the process and show what the person actually looked like before the image that you have. Their necks being lengthened, their lips have been increased in size, their cheeks have been changed, their hair has been totally altered through editing it. And their point really is that what you see is not really the reality of what it is. And what we're going to see in these chapters is these people who claim to worship the living gods have taken God and they've airbrushed him, got the wrinkles out, and they've changed it so that their worship is convenient. 
and ultimately worship whilst the more you're changed it is convenient as your heart follows God but there's always a wrestle in our heart and our worship isn't convenient so Judges chapter 17 we're going to read little chunks and I'll explain it the book of Judges was an era when God's people were ruled by judges and they went through this repeated cycle where they would rebel against God and then they would be oppressed because of their rebellion. They were there's an inevitable consequence when you rebel against God, there's oppression. And then they would repent and they would say sorry and they would come back to God and God would raise up a deliverer. Some of you will know the names Gideon and Samson and Deborah. And there would be peace for a season and then the cycle would start again and again. But what you find as you go through repeated episodes of this is their repentance, which Tom mentioned today, was less a grieving over their sin, but probably more a regret that life had got difficult because of their choices. And that's a fundamental difference between repentance and regret. A lot of us regret being caught out. We regret the consequence of sin. We regret that we made a foolish choice. When actually repentance is first actually about I've grieved God. And I've wronged God and I've fractured, severed, not totally, but to put a distance in my relationship with God. And you see, there's a surface level thing and there's a broad brushstroke. They did evil in the sight of God. They were oppressed and they cried out to God and God in his mercy delivers them. But there's the superficial kind of repentance and worship, which is what we delve into at the end of the book of Judges in chapter 17. So we read this, verse 1. There was a man from the hill country of Ephraim named Micah. He said to his mother, The 1,100 pieces of silver taken from you and that I heard you place a curse on, here's the silver, I give it back to you. So clearly what's happened is he's stolen this money from his mother and she, thinking that her golden boy would never be the one to steal it, she's uttered a curse and he's heard the curse, and not because he's wronged his mother, not because he's stolen the money, but because he doesn't want to get hit by the curse, he returns the money. So you can see the flavor of the story already. It's not a heartfelt repentance. It's a, I regret that there's a curse now over me. He has the money back. And his mother responds. She's super grateful. She takes the money and she says, I personally consecrate the silver to the Lord for my son's benefit to make a carved image and a silver idol. So he returned the silver to his mother and she took five pounds of silver and gave it to a silversmith. He made it into a carved image and a silver idol and it was in Micah's house. So there's something seriously wrong here, isn't there? If you know your Bible, she takes the money, she commits it to the Lord so that her son can make an idol. Uh, If you know your Bible, making idols is a (laughs) no-no. So something is really wrong here, but it has the appearance of worship. So they're not worshipping the idols of Baal and the other idols of the day. They would claim to be Christians worshipping the living God. But it's all a bit mixed up. So we read on verse 5, I think it is. The man Micah takes this money. He made a shrine and he made an ephod and household idols and installed one of his sons to be his priest. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did whatever seemed right to him. In the words of my illustration, everybody... Picked and mixed what they wanted. So what's going on here? Well, this looks like worship, doesn't it? If you just skipped over it, read it very briefly for your Bible reading so you can tick off on your annual plan. Has anyone got to Judges yet on their annual plan? I usually fail at Leviticus and then pick it up in something like the Psalms. This looks like worship to the living God. The carved image was probably meant to resemble the Lord. 
the sanctuary that was made was meant to resemble the temple. Worship God had commanded them to make. So God said, worship me, do it at the temple. So they thought, okay, well, let's get an image. We can worship that and we can create a temple. They have the appearance of being true worshippers, even probably claiming to be Christians, probably rejecting the false gods, but, 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 but they have picked and they picked, picked and mixed. Or put it together, picked. Okay, we'll go with that. They have picked, but not as God had commanded them to do. They've airbrushed and they've photoshopped him and they've done what seemed right to them. So they've broken the second command, no images after me. Do you know, have you ever wondered why that command is there? Why we're not to make images of God? Just as kind of a side note, you think, okay, I get that's a command, but why not? Surely we can visualize God and we'll help with our worship. Well, the reality is whatever image you make, whether it's drawn or carved or created or in your imagination, you will always consciously or subconsciously emphasize an aspect of God that you like or that your thoughts are full of. And you will miss a myriad of other factors, character, bits of the nature of God. So close your eyes for a moment. Try and picture God. Picture his face and pay attention to his expression if you like. Don't worry, I don't think this is causing you to be an idolater, don't worry. Okay, some of you, you can open your eyes now, some of you have pictured the beautiful, gentle face of Christ. Tenderness in his eyes, or a father with great affection. Some of you would have pictured that. Others of you would have pictured the holiness of God. God on his throne in heaven, surrounded by light and angels. Others of you would have pictured a more stern face maybe or expression of God being full of righteousness and truth or the warrior Jesus we all instinctively probably think of God in a particular way and none of those is necessarily wrong (laughs) they're all true but left to ourselves if we thought on that if we focused on one thing if we made an image we would be emphasizing one aspect and as a result over time we would end up missing out on the rest of God he is both holy and true and gentle and lowly to quote a well-known book at the moment we are not to make that because it leads us to pick and mix worship even if that just means missing out what should be in there as well so Micah makes this temple and sanctuary where it shouldn't have been God said it should be in this place you go here to worship me and he puts his son as a priest instead of a Levite priest should have come from the tribe of Levi they chose to revise God and his commands to do what seemed right in their eyes it seemed convenient to them can you say convenient let me ask you this have you ever heard someone say this maybe you've said it I don't believe in a God like that I like to think of God as have you ever heard that or said it I don't I don't believe in a God like that I like I like to think of God like this. Now, sometimes we say that in defense when someone says something that's not true about God. And we're like, no, I don't believe in a God like that. I believe in a God like this. But most of the time, it's an objection to Christianity. I don't believe in a God like that, a God who judges or a God like that. I like to think of God like this. And that's the prevalent message of our age. Think of God making him out to be what you want him to be. We live in a time just like that. We are told that you should do what seems right to you. (laughs) The book of Judges shows the foolishness of that. Everybody did what seemed right in their own eyes. We're told to be true to yourself. 
and those who shout that the loudest also shout the loudest, but you can't be true to yourself if what you believe goes against what I believe to be true to myself. It's a no-win situation. It leads to imprisonment. It leads to conflict. It leads to disappointment. It leads to pain. Be true to yourself doesn't work. You need a sovereign, benevolent, good, wiser than you being to tell you how to live. Some of you have had a wonderful life by the grace of God. You've had good foundations. Many of us in here have had a bit of train wrecks of life when we have led them ourselves. Left to ourselves, left to myself. I would be a third-generation alcoholic from a divorced family who was cynical, self-serving, arrogant, proud, and puts other people down. And I'm I'm trying not to exaggerate in that. Apart from the grace of God, how would you, left to yourself, what would your life be like? When it comes to our spiritual life, this kind of attitude of convenient worship, this thing of be yourself, does not let God be himself, but it causes us consciously or subconsciously to redefine God in a way that suits us, in a way that's convenient, in a way that meets our need, in a way that helps us in our situation. Sometimes that's true. God meets your need. God helps you in a situation. But when we make him out to be a God to do that, we're missing something. Tim Keller puts it like this. What we're really saying is our culture's distasteful an idea means that we must drop it. We must have a God that fits our culture's sensibilities. And like Micah's family, instead of of letting God reshape our hearts, we reshape him to fit our society and our hearts. And that is a great danger. And it's not just out there. How many of us have been thinking about that's true out there? And it is very true, but sadly, it comes into the church when Christians sleep together outside of marriage and they say, because I felt peaceful about it. As if you feeling peaceful has anything to do with it when God's word says otherwise. It's in the church when we're not generous with our money to God. And I can say this because it's not about giving me your money at hope. It's when we're not generous about our money with God. As he told us, we've received everything from him and we don't give it. And we say, I'm not comfortable with that. Now, of course, most of us are probably not comfortable in many ways, but over years you realize that giving to God is fatal. But it's when we choose our preference above what God says. It's when Christians view being committed part of a local church as pick and mix. (laughs) Come when I can, come when I'm not. And again, the pandemic is a challenge on this. Some people are staying at home for legitimate good reasons. But many of us like the idea of not getting out of bed and going to church on a Sunday. And that might persist after things have changed. And we think, okay, but what about people who are missing out on the Holy Spirit in you and you missing out on them? It's when we choose a living, working, financial or relational situation for convenience and pleasure rather than asking the question, what honors God the most? What does God want? When was the last time someone asked you or you, maybe not like explicitly, but you looked at your life and said, what does God want me to do here? When you had a job application or when you're thinking of your next move or your next house buy or whatever it is. I wonder what God thinks about this. And sometimes we can just forget to ask that question. And most of the time, thankfully, it's because we're living in a culture where it's naturally part of what we're doing. But sometimes we just forget to ask it. Here's another one. When Christians deliberately withhold forgiveness because it feels good and it hurts the other person. The Bible says you're deceived, <laughs> deceiving you if you withhold forgiveness. You think, it's so easy to do because it feels so good, doesn't it? You hurt me, I'm going to say I forgive you, but I'm going to let you know 
there's a bit of lingering something in there so that you feel bad. You think, man, I've received grace and mercy that I don't deserve. And it's not half-hearted and it's not resentful from God. We must give it. When it comes to this whole pick and, thing, pick and mix thing, choosing what we want or God, as one preacher put it, there comes a time when you've just got to admit that what seems right in your own eyes has more weight than what God's word says. There comes a point where you think, so, you know, you often counsel people who are in difficult situations and trying to work out what's right, wrong, and, and they know, you know, the Holy Spirit lives in you, you know when something's wrong. And you come to the point where you just say, ultimately, what you think has more weight in your life than what you think the Word of God says. And that's what it comes down to often. True worship is not convenient ultimately because of the inherent sin in us and our bias towards rebelling against God. Now that gets redeemed and worship becomes more and more convenient through your life. Hallelujah. But at some point you have to reconcile who's God in your life. You have to reconcile with what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 where he says, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. You are not your own. You are not your own, brothers and sisters. If you're a Christ follower, you were bought with a price. So honor God with your body. Now, maybe you're not a Christian, you're watching, or you're here today, or you're working out what Christianity is. When the Bible commands a change in life, it's for a Christian because they have the life and power in them to be able to do that. Don't try and change your life living and fix it before you have the life of God in you to do that. You will fail. You first got to be reconciled to Jesus. And then these commands are, they're commands, but they're almost pulling you into the life that Christ has won. you. But you must reconcile at some point that you are not your own. Your life, your time, you're not your own. When you come to Jesus, part of being saved is reconciling yourself to the fact it's no longer about you. So a few questions to help us work out if we just, just reflective questions. Where in your life is convenience trumping obedience? It's a good one to mull over. Invite your friends to look at your life because you probably are slightly unaware over time because you've made yourself feel comfortable with it like I do. Where in your life is convenience trumping obedience? What areas of your life, and this is more subtle, are you keeping hidden or are no-go areas for other people? Because you know if you open that up, there's a lot of change that has to come. So some of us withdraw. Some of us don't let people in so that no one sees that area of life and I can kind of pretend it doesn't exist. So what areas of your life are hidden and are no-go areas for anyone else to come into? That could be an area where this is happening. Convenient worship picks and mixes. And then related by my second point, it does so to use God. That's what it does. Because ultimately, if God's not on the throne of your life, you are. And so when we pick and mix and make God out to be how we want him to be, it's so that we can use him. Chapter 17 goes on to tell after Micah had set up the shrine and his son as a priest that a Levite from the priestly clan left Bethlehem to go and find somewhere else to stay. Okay, So someone from the clan that could be priests. 
So he's walking along and comes to Micah's house, and Micah finds out, and he says in verse 10, Micah said to him, stay with me. Now remember, his son's the priest at the moment. He says to him, stay with me, and be to me a father and a priest, and I will give you 10 pieces of silver a year, and a suit of clothes for your living. And the Levite went in, and the Levite was content to dwell with the man, and the young man became to him like one of his sons. And Micah ordained the Levite, and the young man became his priest and was in the house of Micah. See, think about this. His son was the priest. It's all a compromised situation. But now he can upgrade spiritual status by getting a Levite, even though Levite should never have been a priest in that place. So he casts his son aside, or maybe he's kind of still priestly role, and he makes this guy a priest because now he can upgrade, feel a bit better about himself. And the next verse is telling of the whole situation. Verse 13, then Micah said, now I know. I've got a dodgy shrine. I'm wearing an ephod like a priest does. But I've got a Levite now. I've got one more box tick. Now I know that the Lord will, say it together, prosper me because I've ticked one more box, because I have a Levite as a priest. It's crazy, the story, when you stop and think about it. He must know he shouldn't have done the shrine, shouldn't have done the temple. But he's just found one more thing to make himself feel better. But the whole reason has been so that God prospers him. Micah believes if he does the right things, God is like a puppet on strings. That rhymes. Does the right things, God is a puppet on strings who will prosper him and serve his purposes. Now, I grew up in Zimbabwe, Africa. I love faith, part of the Pentecostal environment. I grew up and I believe God blesses you. I believe obedience brings blessing from God. I believe faith takes hold of things in God that you wouldn't otherwise take hold of. I believe all of that. And I believe in the fullest meaning of the word, God prospers us. Body, soul, mind, and spirit when you follow his ways. But that's not what's going on here. This is deliberate compromise to get something from God to prosper his own purposes, not God's purposes. Convenient faith seeks access to God to get him to do what you want. True faith gives God access to your heart so that he can tell you what he wants. Say that again. Convenient faith seeks access to God to get him to do what I want. True faith Gives God access so that he can tell you what he wants. What kind of God are you serving? And I come towards an end with this. What are you doing now that seems right to you, but you've not asked the question, what does God want? And I don't think it has to be like a deeply spiritual night on a mountain question. If you're living in the Word of God, it could be a brief question. <laughs> if you're in community, you could just ask a few friends and you'll know quite quickly. If you're under leadership, just ask them. But asking the question is key. What are you thinking the Lord will prosper you in because of this? Or probably more subtly for us, what have you come in today thinking, I'm not sure the Lord's interested in meeting with me because I've done this thing wrong? It's the other side of the coin of the same mentality. I've got to do certain things for God to do certain things with me. Hey, listen, he splashed the blood on the doorpost. He's done it. Hallelujah. You're welcome to come boldly before the throne of grace. As I, as I finish, I want to just come back to that 1 Corinthians 6 verse. I wonder if we can pop that up. I want you to, I'm going to read it. I want you to pay attention to the tone that you read it in, internal tone, okay? This is 
than telling whether we're bartering with God or whether we've grasped grace. So it says this in monotone or normal tone. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You're not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You may not be able to tell, but what tone did you read into that? Some of us hear it like this, and this is how I lived for many, many years. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. Therefore, therefore honor God with your body. Stop sinning. Sort out your behavior. Do you, do you read it in that tone? Some of us do. Some of us are just so wired. We've been counseled all the time that following Jesus is about behavior modification. It's all about how you behave. That's important. It's actually about the heart. And if you don't change the heart, your behavior is it's like a ruler. You know a ruler? You can bend it, but as soon as you take the pressure off, boop, it snaps back to so if your heart doesn't change and you just change your behavior, as soon as the environment changes or it gets too much, you let go or you can't hold it together anymore, boop, it pops back. Your behavior goes back to what it was, cycle after cycle. Well, do you read it in this tone? And we're going to finish with this and then share communion. Do you read it in this tone? You might want to close your, your eyes. I believe God just wants to reaffirm this to some of us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who's within you? God choosing to live in you. Who you have from God. He's given his spirit to you. You've not earned him. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you were bought with a price. Willingly. Joyfully. Deliberately. The plan of the ages. You were bought with a price so that God might dwell in you. Always. Never distant from you. With you. Never separated from you. So. Glorify God with your body. Do you see the difference in that? One is, pull your socks up, son. Straighten things up, daughter. God's paid for you. Pay him back. The other is, <laughs> you're never able to do that. But God's bought you, paid for you, when you were a rebellious slave. Socks were down, shirt was untucked. That's normal now, but you know what I mean? And he did that so that he might live in you and be with you. So honor him with your body. Make him the Lord. Say yes to him and no to anything else. Some of you need to hear that today. As I was, as I was coming up here, I, I felt because there might not be anyone. Is there James in the room? Are you bold enough to say a, a James? Maybe not here. Maybe online. But I just... If you, are, if you are online, you get to get away with prophetic words now, because if there's nothing yeah, you just say, you must be online. So you, um, but maybe you are. So I won't find you, but maybe, maybe I heard wrong. I just, I, I, if that's you, James, and others, you will hear this, and it'll be God ministering to you. 
you need to know that God has not regretted for one moment purchasing you. Not, not a single moment has God regretted buying you at a price. It wasn't a bargain basement deal. He went above and beyond. He put the first bid in that no one could ever top it. He has never once regretted it. And so as we come to communion, now you might want to get your communion cups ready. And I just want us to reflect on these verses and then we'll come to, to worship, I think. Oh, thank you. Um, if you're at home and you've not had a chance to get these, you might want to. So just as you get the wafer ready, if you can get it out. I'm just going to read this verse again. I just want you to reflect on... We do this to remember what Christ did. This is what he paid with us. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Let's just break the way, Fern. We remember the brokenness of Jesus for you. I don't know what your name is, ma'am, with the floral mask and matching dress. Uh, I, just, I, I just felt the Lord wanted you to know his utter delight in you and his... He's never regretted it, but he has seen the hidden faithfulness of some choices you've had to make and it thrills him that you're his and you have delighted his heart let's remember the broken body of Jesus thank you Lord what a, what a glorious saviour thank you I never need to know whether it was a fraud check or whether you actually did it. Thank you, your death signed it off once for all. A foretold and fulfilled death. Thank you, Father, for your son. Thank you, Jesus. And as we drink of the, the wine, the juice, and we remember your blood, doesn't this speak of cleansing? The blood speaks a better word over your life than you've spoken over your life today. It speaks a better word than the accusations of the enemy. It speaks a better word than your past failures. It speaks of a cleansing. It speaks of a once for all. It speaks of a nothing left on the record to separate you from God. It speaks of a willing, joyful Savior who on the cross did not call down a host of angels to free him, but willingly for the joy set before him whom you are part of hallelujah there's a joy in God for you and we remember that and it says that when we take communion we remember and we proclaim the death of Christ until he comes again which is the same thing as saying we proclaim that he's alive and he's well and he's returning one day to make right every wrong and to gaze into your eyes and say well done good and faithful servant we remember you Jesus we honor you and we delight in you. And I wonder as you stand, will you stand with me if you're comfortable with that? My final prayer and then I'll hand to the worship guys. I want you to, in your own way, just tell him that he's God and he's Lord again. And as you do that, the Holy Spirit gently will put his finger on a few things that you need to work out with him. And during worship or with friends or leaders in the church today, just say, hey, I, it might be tiny, it might be big. 
I want you to help me put God first in this. Lord Jesus, we love you and we invite you to bring a conviction that leads to repentance and life without regret. Thank you. We have every reason to hope that as we ask you, the liberty that you promise is sure and it's full and that there is no going back on it. It is decided. Help us, Holy Spirit, friend, helper, advocate, great intercessor for us before the Father to make him king over all of our lives. If you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, click a button. If you're watching online, get in touch or come and speak to myself or Tom or Sarah here today and know the greatest liberty that you could have ever imagined.